Welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. This podcast is for anyone in the Australian financial planning ecosystem with a focus on life risk insurance. Whether you're a seasoned advisor or just starting out, I think you'll get heaps of value out of this podcast. I'm your host, Phil Thompson, and I'm a life risk insurance specialist, and you're listening to My Risk Advisor. Hey there, welcome to the My Risk Advisor podcast. Today, I've got Blair Jamison, who is Head of Operations and Development at Nor Financial. He's three weeks into a new job. He spent 15 years in corporate and has now moved to a small business. So we have a chat about why he made the decision to move into small business, the positives and not so positives of being a part of a small business. But before we get started, we can't do this podcast without the help of Zurich and OnePath. So I want to start by saying thank you. Zurich and OnePath are your partners in life and are also proud supporters of the My Risk Advisor podcast. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Blair. So first of all, before we get started talking about kind of your journey and why you chose to go from big corporate into a small business, um, help us understand for those who don't know you, what's your journey so far? Yeah, thanks for having me, Phil. Um, it's been a it's been a fifteen year journey in this financial services industry, which has uh, which has been a roller coaster. But uh, if we want the sort of bio version, then um, I started the industry very fresh faced. I had a full head of hair back then, <laughs> working for ING. Um, so even back then, it was ING Australia. That was a joint venture between ING International and ANZ, and I was there as it became one path, and ANZ took ownership. So that was definitely a large institution ownership. Mm-hmm. And I left there and moved to Astron. And that felt a bit more sort of cottagey. We, we felt like the little guys against the world, but still owned by Suncorp. So big yeah. institution influence there. And then for the last 10 years at BT Financial Group, owned by Westpac. So large institutional ownership again. So it's been yeah. constantly part of big groups, which, which has its advantages and disadvantages. Yeah, and so and and when you say BT, you were business development manager. Uh, Correct. BT. Yes, yes, worked my way up the ranks. So uh, in ING days, as a business support officer, I don't know if you remember, but we used to actually laminate contact cards and deliver them to people. It was oh my goodness, I, no. We would mail out PDSs, so that was my job yeah. keep the PDS room neat and tidy. Uh, when I moved to Astron, it was getting close to that BDM role. I started as a phone based BDM, and that was really good yeah. fun. Uh, and then finally, when I went to BT, uh, went to BT. It was the on the road BDM, out and about, multiple appointments every day. It was fantastic being out and around the places. That suited yeah. me really well. And then the last two years, obviously not being out. Oh, I mean, you're you're in WA, so you guys didn't have any lockdown. I'm, I'm in <laughs> Melbourne. We were we were in lockdown for like 75 years, I think. Um, but yeah. you, COVID didn't exist for a long time. In WA, did it? <laughs> well, it didn't. Uh, that's true. It's here. It's here now. But shut off the borders and said, "All right, just leave us alone. We'll, we'll create our own nation." And um, and COVID doesn't doesn't need to impact us. We did. The wall went up. But that's uh, yeah. that, again, that is. Part of institutional ownership meant that we had a one umbrella policy as far as COVID went. So even in WA, oh, when so COVID you, wasn't here, we were under the same. You weren't rules. on the road during the last two years, um, not for about the first, I'd say, six to nine months, uh, and then oh, we were. Wow, getting that's really new, interesting. Some new rules came in that allowed us to go and see advisors if we did some pre-appointment work yeah. and some post-appointment work, and yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I mean, the, the purpose of, I mean, the reason why I got you on is because um, it's, I find it really interesting that journey from going in and growing up in your career in corporate 
and being completely surrounded by that, moving into a small business. And so I guess, you know, going from, you know, if, if anyone doesn't know, BT was sold to Tao and Tao wasn't taking on any of the, well, they weren't taking on many of the BDM roles. Well, that's my understanding. Um, and so a lot of the BDMs were looking at, okay, wh- where are our options from here? Do we go to another insurer in, in a role? Do we look at small business? And, and I've spoken to many, many of the, um, the team at BT. So what was your kind of thinking around that? Was, was the sale to Tau kind of the, the impetus and, and made you make that, that move? Or have you been thinking about this for a while beforehand? Um, yes. Yeah, I had actually. So for me, 15 years working for a product manufacturer was was enough for now uh, and I needed to change of scene. Um, I'm also getting close to 40. <laughs> and I can't yeah. see myself doing the same thing for another 25 years without, without at least trying something different. Mm. I've always felt life is short um, and there's times that we really feel the most alive is, is when we challenge ourselves and we get outside our comfort zone. So when the opportunity to take a redundancy came along, uh, I, I took that as a sign the timing was right and I, I jumped at it. But my time spent in Instos was amazing. So it's not its not that things were particularly stale. Uh, it was just that I, I was feeling like it's either stay as a BDM and go somewhere else, given that yeah. my role uh, didn't continue, or try something different. And Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, I, I'm the type of person that, that will bash every every kind of option. So it's not about bashing Insta. It's not about bashing small business. It's actually about bashing both of them. Um, so <laughs> like they're, they're, bo- they're both bad. It's just which one is less bad for your particular point in time. Um, so I guess in terms of that preparation to leave was – yeah, what was the the knowledge that there will be a redundancy kind of helped you do that final final step of going okay, definitely I'll, I'll move out now, or was this kind of a thing that over the last three to four years you were thinking about and toying with the idea of going out and, and joining a small business? Yes, so for the last probably two years, um, I I realised my time as a BDM was limited, uh, not necessarily because of the redundancy, because the tail sale hadn't come through at that point um, but I was looking at my life and my career and, and my goals and objectives personally and professionally and it something needed to change what I was really interested in was the sort of practice development manager type roles for the licensees because I yep. really love working with advisors and I love working with advice practices but I felt like I needed a break from talking about the PDS on, on repeat so there were some roles that I was really looking at, um, but when the opportunity to get a check came um, mm. after 10 years, I thought, well, this is a chance to do something even more risky and actually go and work directly for an advice practice. So, yeah, yeah cool. took the plunge. That's good. And so, I, yeah, that's, that's an interesting way of phrasing out of going like, because the money supported that that ability to take a risk to go into a small business because, you know, licensees, I mean, there are small licensees, but but still predominantly they're going to be bigger than an individual advice firm. Um, so, yeah, the, the idea that, you know, that that plunge is the, the more you go into direct to client advising, the higher the risk is um, and or perceived or real risk. Um, but it's really interesting that the way that um, – that that was phrased. So, I guess you know you're now with North of the River um, Financial. So mm-hmm. Sean Clements, um, you know that's that's his business. He's, that's his baby. He's been running for a few years now. Um, 
So was it more an opportunity that Sean approached you to do it or were you going out there going, you know what, I can actually go to the advice, individual advice business and and you were looking at a few different options? Both of those things really. I I considered a number of options, uh, spoke with a number of advisors. Once I knew that the redundancy was coming, I chatted with a bunch of advisors that that are really friends and just talked about, um, life on the advice side of the fence and what they saw as advantages and disadvantages and pros and cons and the different roles on that side of the fence. So we looked at being an advisor and we looked at being a PDM and we looked at being a practice manager and we looked at compliance yeah. and power planning and all of that and and then me weighing up sort of the pros and cons of each of those and seeing what would work best. And then Sean is, I'm lucky enough to call Sean a good mate we're, we're good friends. We met professionally, but we've now gone on camping trips with our kids and uh, yeah, yeah. play a lot of online gaming, not during business hours, of course. Yes. Um, yes. So we've got a lot in common, but I think what was important for me was that we our, our life values are very aligned. Mm. So the way Sean approaches his clients, the way Sean approaches his business, the way he approaches life is, is very similar to, to what I do. And how much and how much time was that that due diligence? Obviously you had a you had a relationship beforehand, so you knew each other really well. You're very familiar with each other, but how much of that time leading up to joining his business did you actually sit down and go, let's look at this, yeah, we're friends, but let's put that aside and do a bit of due diligence on this as an actual you know, business decision and, and um, you know, knowing each other professionally is one thing. Working with each other is is very different, um, very different <laughs> thing. So how much time did you spend like in due diligence in that, in that phase? Less than I probably should have if I was being a lot more wary. Uh, yeah. But I, I guess similar to you when you're talking to your clients, it's about trust. So uh, we had some pretty what I would consider to be open and honest and transparent conversations about what we both wanted out of the relationship, what we both wanted yep. out of the business and our goals for the future. Um, and then that was enough for me. So I, I was thinking we can work on the minutia later and I will never yep. really understand all the ins and outs of your business until I'm in it. So, yeah, until you're knees deep in the mud going, yeah. okay, this is, there's a lot of mud here, but but uh, that's that's small business for you. Exactly. So I, I needed to buy some, of it. some welly boots on day one just to, uh, to get <laughs> stuff right in. That's it. Um, and so I guess, you know, n- not talking specifically about north of the river, but before you were leaving, what was the thing that kind of scared the pants out of you moving into an advice firm? What was, what was the thing that you were thinking – if these things don't happen or if this happens, then that's really going to turn everything sour. Not not in terms of the relationship, but it, yeah, what was the thing about advice that scared you most that you saw as the biggest risk? Um, the biggest risk for me was that I wouldn't like it. <laughs> um, that was I was going to the unknown. Uh, yeah. I, I thought I would have the experience and skills and knowledge to, to, to be able to add value um, in some way, shape or form. And I thought the money, so again, the, the beauty of having a redundancy check meant that the financial considerations weren't a big deal to me. Um, it was more, what if I get there and it's no fun and I waste Sean's time and energy uh, mm. and my own and then six months or 12 months later, I think that was the biggest mistake of my life. I should have gone and tried to find another BDM job. Um, yeah. That was the biggest risk, but that was... It was, it was the biggest risk, but it was also the biggest opportunity and it was the purpose for me doing it in the first place, which was to do something different. And no matter what I did, if it was different, 
that would be the unknown factor. So yeah, and and how long how long have you been in the business for? Mate, it's been less than a month. We're we're week three. I'll just call it week three. So yeah. we're week three. So now you've now you've joined it, and and you said like you know we're way too early to know if you're going to like it or not. That's that's six twelve months time. So that that still could be a reality that you hate um, advice, advice <laughs> space. Um, but but I guess like moving into the advice business, what's what are the things that you thought were going to be the case that aren't the case? Um. I, a lot of it's aligned to my original thinking and I think the big differences are around scale and resources. So mm. the big difference between working a company that reports its profits in billions versus thousands. Mm. Um, and again, like it, the, the pros and cons are that there's a really fine line and most of them sit in both. So yeah. working for a large institution, you've got incredible resources at your fingertips. Um, there's whole departments of HR and IT and training development and technical support. Um, yeah. And in a large institution that's been operating for a significant period of time, there's also a considerable library of resources that were built a few years ago and then shelved and completely forgotten about. And the problem is often down to, you know, having too much available to you and not know where it is. And, yeah. you know, I remember being part of a team at a previous employer where we were asked to audit the intranet uh, and the storage hierarchy and look at what's there. And um, mm. we found just so much stuff that was so good, um, calculators and presentations and um, tech papers that were absolutely still relevant today and had yeah. clearly required a significant amount of time and energy and expertise to produce, but we're now just not being utilised simply because no one knew they were there anymore. And in a yeah. small business now, again, you know, week three, um, it's quickly becoming obvious that our resources are extremely limited um, mm. and prioritising where to best expend our energy is a daily decision. Um, yeah, yeah. Sean and I have sat down, we've developed short, medium, long-term plans and goals, but it's a constant balance between the need to stay focused on the big picture and agile enough to adjust course at a moment's notice when unforeseen factors come in. Yeah, they, I mean the thing that I love to talk to when I when I bring in a new hire into the business at Sky, I always say to them, "Look, it's a complete and utter dumpster fire here. Um, <laughs> don't, don't come in here thinking we have got everything sorted, especially when people come from corporate. When you know things things aren't rosy in corporate land, and we we can kind of um, you know appreciate that. But you know you may get annoyed that the IT department aren't letting you do something." But guess what? All your emails, or everything else, is all set up for you, and you don't need to think about that. In small business, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, we've got to, I got to work out how to set up your email and how to set up your login to this. And like, I don't have someone I can just say, here's the person starting, go, you know, flick them everything. Um, but yeah, it, that's the beauty of small business that it is a dumpster fire, and and you are constantly building. And that analogy of like, we're jumping off a cliff. And we've just got to build the plane as we're going as we're going down, and and hopefully, the plane's built before we hit the ground. Um, that's it. That's I hundred percent agree. That's been my experience so far. I think mm. the um, the biggest eye opener for me has been the the level of autonomy, the good and the bad of that. Um, I'm really enjoying it, but you know, um, we operate with an exceptional degree of autonomy now. Uh, mm. It's just, I mean, I think about the website. So 
I, I can log in and change the wording on the website at any at any time. If I want to yeah. change the way a link works, I can log in and do it at any time, and it's updated within seconds and it's live. Um, and when you're trying to achieve similar results in large institution land, for better or worse, a great idea gets sent to head office and then marketing mm. have to have a look at it, decide whether to do it or not, and then Lee will have a look at it and decide whether you can do it or not. And those departments will usually go back and forth a little bit until yeah, yeah. finally they say, yes, we're happy with this, and it's usually a bit watered down from what the original concept was, and then it goes yeah. to IT and gets put on a to-do list for the next time the website maintenance occurs, and it could be months. And, yeah. it, and the cost of doing it is is therefore just astronomical. And so the changes sort of either don't happen or they come too late or it's no longer relevant or it wasn't as good as it could have been, um, mm. which, again, is, you know, is a really high risk and compliance structure that they're operating within, and you know. Oh yeah, I mean everything. Everything makes sense. Like no one's arguing that, that that things in corporate land don't make sense. They make total sense, but it it can be a bit restrictive. And and I guess that's the the beauty of small business. And I mean, I'm in love with small business. I've been in small business for a long time, so I, I love small business. I love talking about small business. I could I, I live and breathe it. But the as you said, the level of autonomy also means that. Um, you live and die by the sword in small business. If you aren't executing, then then you're not doing very well. Um, and every day that pressure to execute is is much higher, well, potentially much higher than than in corporate land. Have you have you felt that? Is that is that a fair assumption? Because I've never come from corporate land, so I'm putting a whole bunch of assumptions. But do do you feel that there's a bit more pressure to execute in in your current role than there was um, within corporate? Well, absolutely. I mean, in that that example that we just ran through, I I might come up with an idea, but then it gets handballed to someone else, and so a bunch mm. of other people make sure that it happens and that it happens correctly and that it's all branded beautifully, and that's all great. But now in small business land, if you don't see it through, it's it's your job to come up with the idea, execute, implement, test, measure. That's all on you. Uh, mm. And if you don't do it, it no one else will. So, again, that's that's really scary to me coming from corporate land is, oh, someone's trusting me, someone's giving me the, the, mm. the, the reins. Okay, that's cool. Um, really scary, really exciting at the same time. Um, yeah. Is anyone checking this? No, it's just me. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> right. Like, I mean, you literally you just, you've just got to have a compliance mindset of going, is this compliant? Based on the legislation, yes, well, we can do whatever we want within small business. Basically, yeah. um, that's the that is the freedom that you have. Um, but but as you said, yeah, if if you're not doing it, it's not it's not getting done. Yeah, and you talked about the 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 tech stack as well. When a small business, I've been that was something I was always really interested in as a BDM was talking about how a business works and and trying to sort of peel back the curtain a little bit and see what's underneath mm-hmm. and. I think a lot of advisors were a bit reticent to, to let you in on that. Maybe not because it was private, but more because you're just another BDM that's asking probing questions mm. about their business um, and they don't have time time for, which I can certainly attest to. But it, I was always really interested in like, what's underneath it. I'm, I'm a BDM. I'm working for a life insurance company. I'm really here to ask questions about your life insurance decision-making process. But mm. I'm also interested in how your business works because I, I love it just it's always fascinated me the small business aspect to it and I assumed you know I talked to Sean beforehand we use Xplan beautiful I know a bit about Xplan mm. 
And then I get there and, oh, it's not just XPlan, but it's Pipedrive and it's Slack. And then he listed about 30 other software yeah, providers exactly. that I'd never heard of and how they all interact and thought, yeah. wow. And I've come into this and it's built and it's working. How do you get from zero to having all those softwares put together? That's amazing. And, like, even even at some point I want to talk to people like yourself and go, what software do you use and how does mm. that interact and what have you automated? Because it's fascinating yeah, yeah. and there's so many different ways to do it. It's really interesting. So coming from a BDM position, like your thought on the value you can add in, in that conversation and the, the experts, maybe not expertise in executing because BDM you can't actually execute for the, for the individual business and, and that's not the reality. But I guess thinking about it, asking about it, like now moving into small business where you've got to do it, are, are there some learnings that you've gone, oh, maybe as a BDM, I had some unrealistic expectations on my advice practices on what they could have done better or should have done better. But now moving into small business, I kind of see a much bigger picture. Do you, are you empathizing more with those practices? Oh, so much. You have no idea. If I could have my time again, it'd be so different. Um, yeah. We used to do a lot of business planning with practices and this would be sort of two full-day sessions and part of that might be, um, part of that was process mapping. So we mm. look at a business process from start to finish and we break it down into all the individual steps and which ones were touching clients and which ones were internal and we'd come up with an ideal business process and all the different tasks and who within a business would be allocated to those tasks. And then you'd revisit that six months later and nothing had been done with it. And as a mm. BDM, I'd be... Not frustrated because it's not my business, but I'd be surprised because I. Oh think, yeah, I mean, you can be frustrated of going, "What are you doing, you idiot? <laughs> like, how can we just did two days of work and you haven't executed anything?" Well, that plus we sat in your boardroom and your entire team sat there and you all decided mm. that this was best practice and yes, it was a great idea and we've all bought into it, but no one took ownership of it. And now yeah. I now being there again, really new, for one less than a month, and trying to force that process into an existing tech stack is would be really, really challenging. And yeah. who within the business has the time to do that when everyone's already working in full capacity? Uh, so do you bring someone external in to do that? And now you've got an additional cost of the business and what's the return on capital on that in the short to long term? You just go, wow, well, now I understand why no one did anything with those big planning documents that we sent them. And, yeah, and that's really interesting because, you know, now – you know, you've come from BT and you did those planning days. Yeah, and you also said before you and Sean have sat down and talking about, you know, what are the processes we're going to implement? Are, are there any learnings where you where you can go looking at the businesses that did execute and the businesses that, that didn't, like of the, what, 5% who would have executed? Um, well, are, you, are there any learnings from those businesses of going, I can identify what they did well and what they didn't do well to actually execute that you can now bring into north of the river? Uh, yes, there are. I think I think larger practices tended to execute better. I think maybe they mm. had the resources and, and scale to, to implement slightly faster and quicker. Also, really small and newer businesses were able to, to be more agile and execute. It was the medium practices that were already operating at capacity, already had an operating mm. rhythm that that needed adjustment. And I think that's where we're at, at North of River. So we're now looking at how do we scale up our operation? How do we implement some of the best practice learnings that we've 
that we've seen and, and had advice on, but also how do you put client experience at, at the forefront for all of that? And then mm. you go, well, maybe it's that analogy of the sort of the duck on the pond. It looks really calm. We want our client experience to look like that. And below the water, the the, the, the feet are going a million miles an hour. And how do we yeah. how do we slow that down and get that paddling a bit more efficient, but still maintain a really good client experience is is yeah, our yeah. number one priority. So everything just gets linked back to that. And is this worthwhile doing? How much time is it going to take? How much will it cost? Does it improve the client experience or does it improve efficiency in the back end? And if it's not doing one or both of those, then it's on the bottom of the pile. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting <laughs> just listening. I mean, one of the things that I find just in my own experience, so running a business for you know six, seven years and, and having some growth but, but nothing, nothing really of note and then the last three years having much more significant growth and, and the rate at which I've been able to execute in the last three, three years in terms of improving the business um, has been so much more than than prior than prior to that when I wasn't really growing um, of of any significance. So I think it's really funny because I I think about it as as if you get the clients and you grow, then you can build in efficiencies and you can build in those things because you know at the end of the day you've got money in the bank to be able to pay and and build out those things. But if you try and think about well efficiencies is going to unlock our growth, it doesn't necessarily work like that because you also don't know what efficiencies you need to build into your business because because you don't have the clients to serve those the, the numbers um or to to make the impact. So I always think about these days like is let let's grow, let's bring in the clients, let's get the clients and then we'll build in better processes and 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 the, and it has worked for us is is thinking about let's just bring in the clients and if we've got the clients to serve then we've got to work it out like you kind yeah. of forced to work it out mm-hmm. absolutely i think we we did some business planning the other day and i think worked one of the one of the overarching goals was something along the lines of um achieving best pra- practice through incremental change so we understand we can't do everything all at once. We're going to have to pick our targets one at a time. And then some of those will be proactive and some of them are reactive. Like sometimes mm. we'll we'll find ourselves doing something. So we're sending out our FDSs and thinking, all right, we're doing it this year the same as we did it last year. Um, is there a better way to do it? Probably. Mm. When do we have time to look at that? Sometime between now and next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And then, <laughs> and then when we realise we're sending the same one out, it's like, okay, yeah, next year again. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that was part of why Sean wanted someone else coming into the practice was to go, I, I, I need to spend, sorry, he needs to spend more time mm. client-facing. And to your point, how do we grow? We need to spend more time with clients and we need to have more mm. clients coming in. And Sean has recognised it's it's, in, it's really hard. It's not impossible, but it's really hard to wear both hats. So having someone else to come in and now now he dumps it on my desk yeah, <laughs> because yeah, I've had a great idea and now yeah. it's your problem to figure out how to execute. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it's going to be an odd question because oh, I'll ask a question and then you decide if it's odd or not. But <laughs> my question is if, if there's another uh, uh, um, business owner out there and they're looking at, at bringing in a an XBDM, someone in your position, been in corporate for a really long time. What what are the things that, what are the biggest attributes that they bring bring to their business, the, the small business, and what are the, some of the things that 
that that business owner needs to think about, okay, how do we make sure we're not bringing in those, you know, cultural things that are maybe not as positive to a small business? Yeah, that is, that's an odd question, mate. It's a good question. Um, <laughs> it's a good question. So I think you've, I think you've, trying to find the right person is, is going to be really important. Someone mm. who's, um, mindset and goals and objectives are aligned to what yours are as the principal advisor or business owner or both. Um, there are a lot of, there are, there is a lot of value that comes from institutions. So there's a reason why they're as successful as they are. And a lot of that is about repetitive processes, um, and culture and building in even internal sort of interactions is, is important. So there's, there's part of that, like how do we make our small business operate like a business, big business It's part mm. of it. But then that's anyone with institutional background. I think a BDM's experience, you can get a lot of this without having to hire them. <laughs> so if you can save yourself some money, think about that. Don't tell Sean. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right, Sean, Sean. You didn't need to didn't need to pay his wages. Yeah, get, you're on the hook now, mate. Get other BDMs to chat to you. Yeah. <laughs> but I think where BDMs add a lot of value is if you find some that you trust and you can build that relationship with is opening up to them a little bit further because I think they can play devil's advocate really well. Um, just challenging your thinking. So tell them what you're thinking about doing. And, I mean, for starters, they're an external third party, so they can be completely impartial with their responses to you. But secondly, you're probably one of 15 advice businesses that they've walked into this week mm. and they've seen how everyone else operates at least at a very surface level. And if they're lucky enough to be asked to engage with other practices like you're asking them to engage with yours, then they can give you some insights about how other people are thinking, concerns that other people are having, challenges that other people are facing, and maybe some solutions that other people are thinking about. Um, I think it can be really lonely being an advisor, even if you're part of a large licensee that's got really good culture and sharing. And even if you go into AFA meetings and FPA meetings, I think asking your BDM, do you know anyone else that's got this problem? Or this is what I'm thinking about. What would your, what would your opinion be on that? Mm. can be really valuable and that's something they can bring to the table. But to your point earlier, you can have that conversation and it can give you some great insights, but then do you have time to execute? Have you got a plan? Have you got an implementation strategy? How are you going to measure the success of it? And that's where you make, well, I maybe I can't do all of that and maybe having another resource within my practice would help me achieve all those things. And then to your point, growth sort of begets growth. If we can start the ball rolling, it, it can be self-fulfilling. Yeah, and I mean that's that's an interesting point. And I've always said, I mean, I give my BDMs a hard time, uh-huh. <laughs> but but I have a genuine respect for them and the role that they have in the business. And and I always look at um, you know product providers and, and BDMs as as a function of that as as business partners. Like we're all in the in the same um, business. We want to help serve clients as best and efficiently as possible. Like. Insurers doing, you know, giving us amended terms or, or whatever the case, they're not doing it just to piss me or my clients off. So I, I always get a bit funny when advisors come out and get annoyed at product providers or say, oh, I'm not taking any meetings with the BDM, like as a, as a point of pride. And it's like, well, we, we're in a really interesting industry where we have mega, mega businesses. Some of the biggest businesses in Australia are pouring resources into our small business for free. And we, we may not even need to support them financially with, with products, you know, recommendation. That helps because they'll 
invest more resources into us if we're recommending them, just like every business partnership does. But viewing it as a business partnership is always what I think about, you know, with my product providers that we use. And I mean, we use everyone, but um, yeah, it's not a competitive relationship. Like we're all doing the same thing. We're working together. I think that's that's perfect and that's the way the relationship should work and in an ideal world it does and mm. with the right individuals, they come together really, really well. As a BDM, I always sort of felt that I was employed by the insurer but I worked for the advisors. So it's mm. it's a weird relationship. If advisors don't use our products, then my company goes bust and I'm out of a job. So mm. it was not about you know, working for my employer and, and towing the company line at every opportunity, although that probably would have led to more corporate <laughs> success. But <laughs> advocating for advisors because whilst, whilst the institution might pay your um, salary into the bank account every fortnight, it, it, your success really depends on whether advisors are supportive of you or not. And that yeah. does come as far as business in the door goes, absolutely. But it also comes from the feedback that you receive. So... You know, if you've got a BDM that you love and you want to send an email to their boss or give their boss a call or when their national manager comes to down, take that opportunity to meet with them and and explain to them the value that you get out of the BDM that's above and beyond just explaining how the PDS works to you is, is really helpful. And as a BDM, I always appreciated advisors that understood that there was more to the BDM relationship than just can you help me with this check that went missing or you spelled mm. my client's name wrong or um. <laughs> but it but it also but it also I I look I'm a selfish person I just think about how do I best you know help myself and guess what when I send an email to my BDM's boss saying how good they've been and then the next week I ask for help for, you know, money that was lost or whatever. Guess who's coming to help me? The people who I've helped. Like it's all like at the end of the day, you do those things because you want to be a good person and all this lovey-dovey stuff. But I, I'm just cutthroat. I do it because I want to help them be as successful as they can be so they can then in turn help me and my business and my clients. Because yeah. at the end of the day, it's all about my clients and, and how we can help my clients. And, and we're, all, we're all in the same boat. Let's just help each other out. And so our clients can get better outcomes. Absolutely. And I think the good BDMs are viewing it from the same same, mm. same side of the, 100%. but just the other side of the mirror. It's, it's still circular. It's still reciprocal. The better your business operates, the happier your clients are, the more referrals you get, the more business you write. Even exactly. if my shared wallet remains the same from Phil, he's it's still it's a much bigger cake. So, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. The more successful we as BDMs could make our advisors, it just, you know, it, was a, it worked really well for all parties. Mm. Now, as we said, you're three weeks in and, you know, Sean's definitely not going to listen to this episode so you can be as <laughs> honest and brutal as you as you can be or you want to be. Um, but what are the kind of pros and cons with work, having a, a formal working relationship with a really good friend? Wow, good question. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you a short story. Um, I was all business. I was all business before I started. Mm. So I was thinking, all right, day one, I had an agenda for the things I wanted to achieve, the talking points, the things I wanted to nail down, um, who I wanted to meet with, how long I wanted to spend with them because I wanted to hit the ground running and I knew I had a steep learning curve. So um, I wanted to make sure we were getting value from day one. And I called Sean before I started and said, this is what I'm thinking. Do you think this is the right way to kick things off? And Sean said, um, I thought we'd play golf. 
And I thought, oh, God, this is terrible. He, he's, he's just employed me as a mate and he wants, wants a golf buddy and a drinking buddy. But I, I want to actually make this work. I want this to be a professional relationship. <laughs> I had to say to him, Sean, oh, yeah, I love golf. I'm happy to play a game of golf, but we're, mm. we're not just, you know, we're not just going to mess around here, are we? We've, we've seriously got plans that we want to do professionally and, and for the business. And he's like, yes, yes. But the point is we need to have a chat around our values and how the working relationships mm. relationship is going to work. Um, and so far it's been really, really, really good. And I put that down to any relationship this is a professional relationship between friends. Mm. And that was something that I was warned about going into it was, yeah, really good to go into a business with a friend because you know each other really well. But when things go bad, they can go bad really quickly and it can be, mm. you know, you may never speak to them again. And it's, it's happened and we've seen a number of advisor practices with two mates yeah, going yeah. into business together. So it's definitely been on my mind. Uh, but like I said, any relationship, openly, openness, honesty, transparency, and communication, if something's not feeling right, just being able to, to say it. Um, yeah. And able- I mean, even that story, just saying, pulling him up and saying, yeah, sure, I'm working for you now, but we, are we taking this seriously? And, yeah. and, and his response is, you're 100% correct. I'm actually thoughtful about this and we're not just like, you know, getting on. PUBG or whatever <laughs> game that you guys are playing. Um, we're not just hanging out, but I've been thoughtful about this golf game and the, there is a purpose to it. Um, exactly. There was a business reason why we should play golf. And, um, mm. and then once you explain that to me, I'm on board. Is there a business reason we should have lunch at the pub and yeah. 38 beers? Absolutely. And, yeah. <laughs> and I'll be on board with that idea as well. And sometimes question what the, you know, quote-unquote business reason is. Sometimes, um, <laughs> sometimes I question it more than others. Depends how many beers <laughs> are on offer. But yeah, honestly, just being able to have that communication go, all right, are you happy? Are you still getting what you want out of this? Am I still getting what I want out of this? And, I mean, to his credit as any good people leader does, he checks in with me regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, on my first week, he called me every afternoon, not to make sure I was doing my job, but just to go, how did you go today? Yeah, what, yeah. what were your challenges? What are you, what are you facing? What are you seeing already? Um, has it already changed your perspective? Um, you know, and those conversations are going for 45 minutes to an hour every yeah. afternoon on the first week because already my perception of what it would be like had changed. My impressions of what my initial action items would be had changed uh, and every day it was it was evolving so just making mm. sure that what he was expecting of me and what I was hoping to achieve myself were still aligned is, is yeah. so important but I mean to do that with my my lovely wife as well make sure that we're both <laughs> clear mm. about what's happening and when it's happening and how it's happening yeah yeah any relationship is important to, to have open communication now, I'm a little bit disappointed. I was expecting a bit more dirt, but that's okay. We can take that <laughs> offline. I know, I know having stuff on the public record is a bit more, um, a bit more nerve wracking. Um, but this has been really good. I guess just to sum things up, what, what would you give advice to other BDMs who are looking at doing the same path as you? Like, what, what advice would you give them? I'd say if you love being a BDM and you love working in sales and you love that cutthroat environment, then Staying as a BDM is great. It is a great career path and if you're enjoying it, there's no need to pivot out of it. Um, I, I do think BDM roles will contract nationally in, in coming years, but the best of the best will, will still find employment and I think we as an advice industry will, will reap the benefits of that as well. For BDMs 
that's uh, looking at a career change, then yeah, I, I think I considered I considered everything that I could possibly think of or that anyone else could think of on my behalf, and I chose joining the advice side of the fence. I had some BDMs, BDM friends that have been advisors previously that said you're crazy, mm. um, and I said, well, that's easy for you to say because you you've done it, you've experienced it. It's like you've you know you've been on the Matterhorn roller coaster, and I haven't had a go on it yet. So let, yeah. let me go on it. So far, I'd say it's. It's awesome. I'm, I'm having so much fun. Um, it's it's so scary and so exciting all at the same time. But that's because it's this was right for me. This ticked so many boxes. Mm. Um, it felt right is what I keep telling people when they ask why. Why did you make that decision? It just felt right um, yeah, for cool. me where I'm at in my life and where I'm at professionally. And yeah, I'm happy to talk to anyone that is thinking about making the same um, choice. Yeah, cool. Um, I love I love the thing about small business. One of the best things is it, your emotions are just on a constant roller coaster. Um, literally, one minute you'll be flying as high as a kite, and then you get an email that's that uh, that puts you down in the dumps, and then <laughs> and then the next minute later you'll be up again. It's so good. You're just up and down all the time, <laughs> and then hopefully over time the roller coaster that. The highs get lower and the and the dips get higher and, and it's a bit more stable. But um, that's the good thing about small businesses; it is so influential in in the in the your input has a direct relationship to the output in small business, um, which is so good. Last two questions: Is when do you get a chance to do your emails? Ideally, at the moment, you know you don't have that many emails. Clients aren't emailing you at the moment. Oh, my inbox has never been emptier. It is the best. It is one of the best things about leaving. Yeah, this how good. Hundreds and hundreds of emails um, a week coming into my inbox prior to leaving. Um, and, uh, yeah, a lot of them will be from advisors um, <laughs> complaining about something that my yeah. company has done. Um, but a lot of it's internal stuff as well. Things are constantly firing back and forth mm. and email trains with a million people CC'd in. I have none of that anymore. The only people that email me are the people that work within NOR or North River mm. Financial. Um, yeah, yeah. I've got the odd people, people within the industry that I've given my new email address to, and it's all really positive. But when you are uh, when you were a BDM, how how did you manage your emails? Did you just kind of do it throughout the day? Did you get it done in the morning? What did that look like? Well, in the good old days of being out on the road a lot and doing multiple appointments a day, emails I'd be doing on the road the whole time. So first thing yeah. in the morning, I try and reply to the most important emails, do a few appointments. Um, I'd often be operating out of the back seat of my car, so pull over somewhere in the car park between appointments, preferably somewhere yeah. with a view, um, fire yeah. up a few emails in the middle of the day and then go do some afternoon, afternoon appointments and then more emails in the afternoon. So I do try and I did try and chunk them into sort of three time slots during the day. Um, yeah. I, I, I sort of, you can live and breathe by your inbox. You can be really busy all day, every day, just sitting there managing the emails that come in and the responses yeah, yeah. that you've sent out. And you'll be a busy person and you'll be adding value and you'll be answering queries. That's all good things and they're all important things, but they're all someone else's agenda. They're not yours. It's all reactive. If you want to achieve things that are yours, you need to turn the inbox off or just ignore it for a period of time every day or set aside enough time in your calendar where you can work on your projects and the things that you want to do and call the people that yeah, you yeah. want to call and ask the questions that you want to ask instead of just working off your inbox. Yeah, cool. And what's one interesting hobby that you have? 
<laughs> you did talk about video games. I'm a mad keen PC gamer. Um, Got it. I love building PCs and playing games online. Um, yeah. That's what's fun. the last? What's the last build that you did? What CPU or GPU oh, did yeah. you put in there? Mate, the stats. Am I using the right terms? Yeah, you're doing very, very well. Got it. What um, CPU did you use? Intel or uh, what's the other one? AMD. AMD. I'm Team Red all the way now. I've got what's a, Team Red? I don't know what that is. AMD processor. AMD. Okay. I've gone all AMD now. I've got an AMD 5600X processor and an AMD 6900XT GPU. They're working very well together. The Infinity Fabric is running on a one-to-one clock. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> Listeners, you won't hear my eyes rolling back because I have no idea what the heck that was. Uh, I'm going to Google some of that later. Um, But I do know I'm. I do know AMD and Intel. Like I'm. I'm not like a complete novice, but I'm like a little bit above a complete novice. Awesome. Well, this has been really helpful. Um, and you mentioned you, you're willing to have a chat to anyone who wants to talk to you. You don't get many emails these days, so you want to have pick up the phone and, and have a call. How do people reach out and get in contact with you? Absolutely. If you want to reach out to me, um, either do it through LinkedIn or you can email me at my work email address, which is Blair at NOIfinancial.com. Um, if you're going through a similar situation or if you are working in a practice and we can compare ideas about what works well and what doesn't, I would love to to be in contact with you. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Well, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Bill. This has been great. Thanks for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode and you think someone else will get value out of it, I'd love it if you could forward it on to them. And as always, we can continue the conversation in the My Risk Advisor Facebook group. All you need to do, open up Facebook and search My Risk Advisor and I'll see you in there.